0: Hello everybody and this is Rich Sports Talk. It's a pleasure to have you here today. My name is Nolan Rich and I will be your host. For this podcast, we are talking everything in the world of sports. We're going to talk everything you love. We're going to talk about professional football, college football, of course, some basketball, hockey, baseball, and we'll sprinkle a little bit of everything else there. But first, let's start with the Senior Bowl. And I know, I know the NFL season is not officially over. We still have a Super Bowl to play. But given that next week is going to be media week, and I will be talking about the Super Bowl exclusively next week. I'm going to shift gears a little bit for the NFL as we're starting to transition into the NFL second season, the offseason, and to a lot of fans and more importantly me, the NFL draft. I love the NFL draft. Uh, Being a huge college football fan that I am, I follow it religiously. I'm always interested to see which college players are going to move up to the next level and more importantly, which ones are going to make an impact. And this class is one of the most unique we've ever had because... It's rare that you get this quarterback crop in a draft. I mean, let's think about over the last decade and a half in the NFL. The closest thing I think we've had to a class like this is 2004, the infamous draft where Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger were all drafted in the first round. And Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Eli and Philip Rivers are both borderline Hall of Famers. I think they'll eventually get in. But you look at a draft, and usually you'll get one great quarterback if you're lucky too. And in this draft, you have multiple quarterbacks, a lot of great storylines. And it starts this week with the Senior Bowl. And one interesting thing about this year's NFL draft is the number one pick, the Cleveland Browns. The Browns who have won a total of one game in two years. I mean, they are a complete grease fire. The big speculation is what they're going to do with the quarterback position. They not only have the first pick in the draft, with the fourth pick and a lot of people in the media have come out and said that the rumor both USC's Sam Donald and UCLA's Josh Rosen have been telling their agents and have been leaking through the grapevine they're not going to come out and publicly say it but that they do not want to go to Cleveland you can see why you look at the state of that franchise the history of handling quarterbacks Who would they take number one? Now, the speculation could be, well, they'll trade that number one pick and they'll try to get a quarterback with that fourth pick. But here's the thing. This is going to be a scramble to get a great quarterback. If you trade the number one pick, it's going to be to a team that wants a quarterback. Number two, you have the Giants who should draft a quarterback, and I think they will to replace Eli Manning eventually or even for next season. The number three pick is the Indianapolis Colts, and while they could get a Shaquan Barkley to really help Andrew Luck, they could also look to use that pick to gain a lot of assets. I mean, we were talking about going back to 2012 when the Redskins traded those three first-round picks for that second-round pick to get Robert Griffin the third. I think you could see something even more, maybe multiple first-rounders, second-rounders, even a couple thirds in there. And with the state of Indianapolis rosters, they have a barren roster. You can make a case they're one of the worst rosters in the National Football League, that they could use that to rebuild that roster around Andrew Luck, who will hopefully be returning for day one of action of the 2018 season. And by the time you get to four, you might not get the quarterback you want. Reading the tea leaves, and it's interesting because I was listening to Josh Allen this week, and he had a lot of great points. And here was what he said when he was asked about being drafted by the Cleveland Browns.
1: You know, uh, it's not about going as high as possible. It's going as high as possible to the right team. So if I'm not the right fit for the Browns, um, that's fine with me. I understand that, you know, some people fit schemes differently. If I'm a better fit somewhere else and I belong at that other place. So it's not about getting drafted high for me. It's about, you know, getting, like I said, drafted to the right team.
0: And here's something I don't think everyone's really talking about, which was what happened two years ago to Cleveland. When they had the second pick in the draft and they decided to trade back, they had they knew they were going to get Carson Wentz. And if you talk to people in the league, that is their biggest regret is they didn't use that pick to get Carson Wentz because we've seen what Carson Wentz has become and what he can become. And unfortunately, that ACL injury, I think robbed us of seeing him in the Super Bowl this year. But... In my opinion, he should be the MVP of the league. You look at where he finished with his statistics and we forget, oh yeah, he missed the last few games because he tore his ACL. But here is one thing I find very interesting. Josh Allen's coach at North Dakota is now the coach at Wyoming where Josh Allen plays. They're a pro-style system that uses the same language as a lot of NFL teams. And it's very interesting because Josh Allen actually talked about that at the Senior Bowl this week.
1: You know, talking to Carson Wentz, you know, he, he went through the same type of offensive style that we have the same terminology and everything. I was able to talk to him last year when I was making my decision, and he said the, the offense that we run translates uh, extremely well to the NFL. It's a different terminology, but we run the same formations, the same concepts. You know, it's, it's a really cool parallel to kind of understand that I'm not in a spread system like most of these guys coming out of college, and I'm gonna be able to step in and at least learn the offense uh, fairly quickly.
0: A lot of people look at him and feel he's a splitting image. I think a little bit, I think Carson in college had a better release and was a little bit more athletic. But you look at their size, similar size, 6'5", that 220, 230-pound range, mobility, big arm, played outdoors, played in bad weather, played in a pro system. To me, I think Cleveland's going to take Josh Allen number one, not only because of what Sam Donald And Josh Rosen, I think, are leaking through their agents. And I think what their agents are telling the Browns. But more importantly, I think it's because they missed out on Carson Wentz. And they feel this could be the kid that is the closest thing to Carson Wentz coming out in the draft. And I will say this about Josh Allen. He's got a lot of confidence. He's one of those blue-collar type of athletes that I think a fan base like Cleveland, where you have a blue-collar working force... Fan base would really get behind and love and appreciate. The expectations would be low. If he wins them two, three games next year, I think that is a great achievement. We've seen in the last few years with Kaiser, with Kessler, with Manziel, what succeeds in the AFC North? It's Ben Roethlisberger and Joe Flacco. Big six foot four, six foot five, six foot six quarterbacks, strong arms, because they're playing outdoors in november and december where the weather is not good and you've seen these cleveland quarterbacks don't have great arms and especially in the second half of the season they struggle because they can't get the football outside the numbers in that bad weather they can't throw it down the field when it's 20 degrees it's snowing sideways in cleveland and baltimore and pittsburgh and cincinnati i mean this is one of the few divisions where you have every stadium is outdoors and you're playing in the elements. And in poor elements late in the season, you look at the quarterbacks they drafted. Manziel didn't have a strong arm. You look at Kessler didn't have a strong arm. Brandon Whedon didn't have a strong arm. I mean, they really haven't drafted a strong arm quarterback. Now, Kaiser has a good arm, but he was a very raw prospect. I think Allen coming out has a better grasp of an NFL pro system. I watched him in college this year play for Wyoming, and you can see the system. Using a lot of tight ends, reading the defense. It wasn't necessarily just looking to the sideline for a giant card with a Pikachu and a mountain and a product to call a play. I think he's going to wow Hugh Jackson, who's a quarterback guy. We forget that as the head coach in Cleveland, and I think it was a very smart decision to keep that because he's going to be molding a future quarterback. Josh Allen, I think he's going to wow coaches, especially. He's one of those prospects that when he gets in a meeting room and he can break down offenses in a pro-style system, I think that's going to really what wins coaches over. I think they love his physical attributes. They're going to worry a little bit about the shoulder injury, but he played in this, in his bowl game and he looked very good in that game, and they're going to worry about the accuracy. But when he gets in there and really shows he grasps a pro system because – Sam Donald, uh, you look at him, he ran a spread offense in USC. It had some aspects of a pro-style system, but a lot of it was spreading, the deep, spreading out the receivers, spreading out the defense. And Josh Rosen was a straight spread offense. And there's no question, I think he has the best arm and the, he's the best thrower in this class. But when you talk about his political stances and the ability, and he's willing to stand up. He's a great kid, but he... I think scares a lot of general managers in this climate where we're seeing politics in the NFL and that is not really sitting well with a lot of the fans and the fan bases. And we'll get a little bit into that later with the XFL discussion, but I really do believe that he's going to be the number one pick and Cleveland can use that fourth pick to either get Shaquan Barkley build around those two players, or trade down. I mean, let's face it, this team has gone with a money ball approach. It's a new general manager, but they will look to accumulate picks. And if a team gives them a really great offer for that fourth pick because a Baker Mayfield or a Josh Rosen or a Sam Donald Falls, I will not be surprised if they do it. I'm, I'm picking that he's going to go number one, though. I really do believe Josh Allen's going to be the number one pick at the end of the day because there's just too many reasons why he fits in Cleveland. He fits the mold perfectly of what that blue-collar fan base is looking for in a player. You look at his size and his arm in that division, playing outdoors, being able to play in the elements. He played at Wyoming, which is 7,000 feet above sea level. He knows how to play in the elements. It's going to be a big factor in that division. He has the mobility to avoid those great pass rushes. You know Cincinnati's got a good pass rush. Steelers always have a good pass rush, and the Ravens have a good pass rush pass rush and especially in the first two or three years he's probably not going to have a great offensive line uh in Cleveland so he's going to have to be able to move out of harm's way he can't be a guy that can just stand in the pocket and I think that's one reason Rosen might struggle is he's a good athlete but I don't think he has the mobility to avoid some of these great pass rushes in the AFC North where Allen Cam he knows a pro style system and he is a poor man's Carson Wentz He understands a pro system, and he is as close to Carson Wentz as I think you're going to get for a prospect. And Cleveland rues the day that not only did they pass on Deshaun Watson, but they really rue the day. They had that second pick. They knew they were going to get Carson Wentz, and they traded that pick away to the Eagles, who, thanks to Carson Wentz, are now going to Super Bowl 52. A lot of great stuff on the program today. Talking about the NFL draft just now. Going to talk about the XFL coming up next. This is the Accessor. And welcome back to Rich Sports Talk. Great to have you in. Just a reminder, you can always follow us, of course. Our podcasts always are on SoundCloud under Rich Sports Talk, but you can also find us on Facebook on the Rich Sports Talk page and, of course, richsportstalk.com. We're going to look into adding the podcast to other places, but we will always be on SoundCloud for more viewerships. And after 19 years, it's back. The XFL! You remember that league? Back in 2001, Vince McMahon, the chairman of WWE World Wrestling Entertainment, started the Extreme Football League. Well, 19 years later, he's bringing it back, and you knew this was probably going to happen. There have been rumors they took out the trademark for XFL and liquidated $100 million worth of WWE stock. And he's bringing it back. And the interesting part is I think a lot of people on the surface felt it was going to be what it was before, of extreme rule football league that had terrible football. But I'm already seeing something very interesting. And you listened to Mr. McMahon talk about this earlier this week about the XFL coming back. And I really listened to what he was saying. Now, I do think it's going to be a very uphill battle. It's going to be hard to get into the market. But the good news is, the market he's trying to get into is the most popular sport in the country, which is football. I mean, you look at the ratings in the college football and the NFL, it's not even close. I mean, let's think, just think about this. The NFL is the number one show on five networks, on five networks network. It's by far the most popular sport in the country and I think he's doing a very smart thing right now that he is rebranding and trying to start a league. And we've seen leagues like this come before the XFL, the USFL, trying to fill that void of football in the spring. And he's already said he doesn't want this to be a minor league football. This isn't going to be a funneling program into the NFL. The first thing I found very interesting about this new league is and the redone XFL is when it's going to start. It's going to be 2020, and the XFL 2020 uh, hashtag was trending. Now, if you've seen the 30 for 30, which was a fantastic uh, 30 for 30 on ESPN about this, and the big thing that they're going to do is they want to have it in 2020 so they can have the teams a year out, and I think that's very smart. They're giving themselves time to build up to this XFL. I think the last time... They rushed into this product and it just didn't work because they tried to rush it and it didn't really click. Now they're giving themselves some breathing room. Now that they have the exposure out there, it's going to, I think, really help in terms of advertising. But more importantly, it's to get organized. And I think when you're trying to organize teams of 40-man rosters like they're trying to do, Having that time to go through an offseason, build a roster, evaluate talent, and more importantly, train, get players in the system, could be very, will be very beneficial. I think that is number one. Uh, Number two, and Vince McMahon made it be known that they're going to be standing for the National Anthem. And the timing of this for the XFL I think, couldn't have come at a better time. And I'll get a little bit into this about Vince McMahon later, why I also think he can successfully do this, which was... He's trying to find that market that is fed up with the politics in the NFL. Now, personally, I am okay with the kneeling in the NFL games. I don't think it is hurting anyone. I think my philosophy on the kneeling was you have every right to do it, and I support your right to kneel for the national anthem. However, I would personally not do it, and I believe if you do it, you're going to send the wrong message. And that message is that you're anti-American and anti-military. And even if you are not, that's the message it's portraying to the public. So I personally wouldn't do it, and that's why I think the repercussions of kneeing is. is. And it's interesting because the whole kneeling, you look at all the kneeling players, it was dying out by the end of the season, uh, players taking a kneel during the national anthem. But getting back to the XFL, so he's really trying to portray that patriotism. And if you notice... The colors of the brand-new league and the helmets in that commercial he was doing, all red, white, and blue. Really trying to tap into that American sense of patriotism. And you can tell that because he doesn't want players kneeling during the National Anthem. And that also led to another interesting fact that he put it out there that if you have a criminal record, you will not be allowed in the XFL. And it's very interesting because Johnny Manziel actually tweeted I to McMahon that he would like to be in the XFL for 2020. And I think that this is one area that could get very interesting. Now, I get what it's trying to do. They're trying to get a very clean league. But I think it becomes a very gray area. Now, are they talking about all arrests? Are they talking about violent arrests? If he was to come out and say, "We, if you have ties to domestic violence, you're not going to be in this league. Which I think could have been good enough. However, when he goes the extra mile and says all the rest, well, what if someone gets a DUI? If it's your most popular player in the league, are you going to kick him out of the league? So I think that's going to be a very interesting crossroad for the XFL is if you have any criminal record, you're not allowed in this league. Does that include a minor drug charge? Does that include a DUI? It's That, I think, could be the very slippery slope In the XFL, especially if one of the star players, and let's be honest, these are not going to be the cream of the crop players. If they can get a star or two player in this league, and I'm not saying like an NFL star, but just a player that sticks out and really becomes a popular player, and then they get an arrest for a DUI or a drug charge, are you going to kick them out of the league? And I think that puts the XFL in a very difficult spot. And I'll be very interested to see how they handle that situation. I'm not exactly sure it will be an easy situation to handle, but we will have to see another interesting aspect of the XFL, which I'm going to go off a little bit of a a left here and uh, get back to the XFL conversation. But it'll be interesting to see what type of players they target. Will they target Colin Kaepernick if he's still available in a few years? Now, if Colin Kaepernick doesn't need during the National Anthem, uh, which he has said on the record he was willing to do this year to play in the NFL, it could be an interesting possibility to bring him into the XFL. However, one player I think you really need to keep an eye on is Tim Tebow. And it will be very interesting if in a couple of years, when this league does start, do they give Tim Tebow, an opportunity because you look at what he's doing in minor league baseball and the crowds and the money he's bringing just for minor league baseball. It would be fascinating if they brought him into the XFL, they brought him in and basically said, Okay, you're going to be the face of this league. It would be great for the media because we would be talking about Tim Tebow every day. He tried to get wrestling too much into it, he got announcers from the WWE in there he portrayed that Vince McMahon character and there's two Vince McMahons there's the Vince McMahon the businessman the Vince McMahon the caricature in the WWE and that's the that's i think the problem is when he is that caricature and people have seen that caricature and they think that's really who he is but he is a savvy businessman he took a minor local wrestling company and has turned it into a worldwide entertainment I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to start his own X, XFL network, which I could definitely see happening, especially with the landscape of this marketing. I wouldn't be shocked if he is trying to possibly get one of these streaming services. What if he could get Netflix or Amazon? I think he'll go to NBC and ESPN and the sport companies with the the sports broadcast, broadcasting companies with this pitch, but. What if he goes to one of these streaming services and says, I want to give you your first ever sporting league, which you can live stream. That might be an intriguing possibility for this league. That could be a niche that they could find that not a lot of these other services have. And now with two years to let technology develop, maybe see the landscape of The television network, because we're seeing it with cable cutting, we're seeing a shift in resources, we're seeing a way of how Americans are viewing television and entertainment. So, I think this two year buffer gives the XFL a chance to really see and really look at where they can focus their resources on making this a great viewing product. There's a lot of good things about the XFL, it was a lot of fun, it was a free spirit environment. It will be interesting. If they have a fantasy league, I think that could be a very interesting draw. Uh, Make that a part of it. Because to me, a lot of the popularity of the NFL is fantasy football. If you could have another fantasy football league in the spring, uh, right at that moment when NFL fans are starting to get depressed because the season's winding down, there's not going to be football for seven months, and now comes this league where you're going to have 10 weeks of regular season and then postseason football Fancy football and the big marketing is the fans. Now, could this mean they maybe have fans have actual fancy drafts, maybe even fans on the team, they vote and decide who the team drafts. I mean, it can be very interesting and I think there's a lot of good possibilities. And I, I think the XFL is a brighter future today than it did when it initially started in two thousand one. Number one, because they learned from their mistakes, hopefully. the first time around already by what they're saying and what they're looking to do you can see that but number two i do believe that they've learned from their mistakes but they also have a guy that understands what the american people want and what makes a great viewing product but don't go anywhere coming up next on rich sports talk we're going to talk about the xfl we're going to have our own city draft yes we're going to draft the eight cities where I believe the XFL should set up shop for the 2020 season. And of course, we will also have a couple additional cities which they could look at and cities I have that they should avoid. And finishing up today, Tom Brady defending his kids on Boston Radio. See what happened and why I'm siding with Brady on this one, coming up on Rich Sports Talk. And welcome back to Rich Sports Talk. Great to have you in today. We talked about the XFL a little bit earlier today, coming back in 2020. And one thing that was said is it's going to be an eight-team league, much like the original XFL was in 2001. So what we actually did is we looked at eight potential cities that we feel would be the best markets for the XFL to move into now. Some of the factors we're looking into is the media market size. We believe that they're going to look for good markets, decent population. But there's also a couple other factors instead of just the TV market. Um, One thing we tried to do was find cities where there isn't a huge NFL presence or college football presence because it would be very difficult for the XFL to compete directly. Uh, trying to avoid some of those really big uh, college football towns in the south in the SEC country, and trying to avoid major cities. There will be a couple where they will go where there is an NFL team, but I do think they're going to look to try to find cities and niches that they can really fit into to find new teams. And more importantly, trying to find stadiums. Uh, That's another factor that went into this list. We look for potential cities with good stadiums that are either already built or going to be built that aren't necessarily NFL stadiums. You're going to look for stadiums when the XFL came around the first time. The league attendance was an average around 25,000 per game. So we're going to look to see if they can get into stadiums about 20,000 to 45,000 would be a smaller stadium, more intimate, better environment, and also, if they only could sell 30,000, 35,000 tickets, would be a better appearance on television, having a more full house, as opposed to putting 20,000 people in an 80,000 seat football stadium, where you'd really notice the difference that no one was in that stadium. So we had a lot of factors that went into this. We have our eight picks, and here we go. And with the first pick, in the XFL expansion draft, the league will select the New York, New Jersey market. Now, a lot of people will say this is a pretty obvious choice. It's the largest media market in the United States, largest city in terms of people in the United States, uh, media capital of the United States, and you can make the case the world. Uh, the first time around, the New York, New Jersey hitmen were second in home attendance, averaging 28000 a game played at the old Metland stadium. I don't believe they will be playing at MetLife Stadium. The the hardest part for the XFL will be to find a stadium site. Although there's a couple of possibilities. I could see them maybe trying to split time at Citi Field or maybe Yankee Stadium on the baseball facilities before the season starts try to front load their scheduled home games another possibility could be Red Bull Stadium in Newark New Jersey that's a 25,000 seat soccer stadium that was built in the past 10 years absolutely gorgeous stadium but just for the fact that it's in that market and if you want to have a professional league you have to be in the biggest market in the U.S. it was pretty uh, easy for this one even with the New York Giants and the New York Jets in the market you have to be in this New York market to be successful and Vince McMahon understands that this is New York. You need to be in a viable media market and a media product. You need to be in the largest market in the United States. And with the second pick in the XFL expansion draft, the league should select St. Louis as the second pick in this draft for their second franchise. Now, a lot of reasons for this. One of the major problems with the first league was that there wasn't really a team in the middle of the country. The closest team to the middle of the country was Memphis. So one thing I look to do in this draft, and I think the league should look to do, is spread out around the country, try to hit major focal points of the country. But here is the reasons why St. Louis makes a lot of sense. They're the 21st television market, so they have the big enough market. Uh, this is a say that is scorned by the Los, the Rams moving to Los Angeles and it was done not necessarily out of the city. This The Chargers was different. The Chargers moved because they felt they couldn't get a stadium deal in San Diego. St. Louis was ready to build a new stadium for the Rams. It's just that Stan Kroenke wanted to get the best value for his team. And he felt to do that he had to move to that Los Angeles market. So this is a, a city without a football team. They're craving a football market. They have looked to try to get the NFL back. I don't think the NFL is going to be back by this time period. So I see a, a void in the market that the XFL can slide right into there. And they already have a stadium uh, for the Rams, the former Rams stadium, the Dome at America Center Stadium. It's a 70,000-seat stadium, a little bit bigger than what the league wants. They'll probably have to tarp off some of the upper sections. But this gives them a team in the middle of the country. It gives them some flexibility. St. Louis is just in the middle of the country, so if they do expand, they can put that team either in a Eastern or Western conference to start off. I have them in the original uh, XFL with four teams in the West, four teams in the East for this, so keep that in mind. For this list right now, we're going to have them in the West. So St. Louis will be in the Western Conference. It'll be the first pick in the Western Conference. However, if you get a couple Western teams and you need to move a team to the Eastern Conference, that location lends itself to being a possible Eastern team. You're going to see uh, this again, too, with the XFL trying to take advantage of NFL markets. And the third pick in the XFL team draft. San Antonio. Now, a lot of people might say, wait, 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 why why San Antonio? Now, here's the thing. San Antonio has been looking to draw an NFL franchise for over 20 years. They built the Alamo Dome, a 64,000-seat stadium about two decades ago in the attempt to lure an NFL team. It's close enough to the Austin market, which is the capital of Texas, so it's a big market. It's 31 in television market, maybe not as big as some of the other markets, but it's a good market. Texas is a huge football state. People love football in the state of Texas. And this is a region where there isn't a professional team. Now, the region is looking for a football team. They even tried to lure the Raiders initially from Oakland before they moved to Las Vegas. And the league showed interest in moving to San Antonio. And that's another key reason to this pick. The NFL has shown interest in possibly moving a franchise to this region because they believe it can be successful. So that in and of itself is a great reason to again this market before the NFL gets there. You have a stadium already on site. It's a great market. And more importantly, and this is another thing, is geography. What is going to make up the 40-man rosters of the XFL? It's going to be college players that want to keep playing that couldn't make the NFL. So what do you have in Texas? You have the largest recruiting base for college talent that goes to the University of Texas. You have all those big name schools, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor. You have all these schools in Texas and a lot of kids on those rosters who might want to continue to play football afterward. So this could be a great pipeline for the XFL to get players in there for those guys that might not have been able to make the NFL, but are just a cup below and are talented enough to make an XFL roster. And you could get some good athletes. And this is another reason why I have another couple of cities on this list, and you'll see why in a little bit. But a great football market and a market that the NFL has explored before, it just makes way too much sense to invest in San Antonio gives them a big market in Texas. So that will be the third pick in the XFL draft. The fourth pick, we are going back to another city where the XFL originally had a franchise, and that is Orlando. Had success with the Orlando Rage. The original team there was a playoff team in the first year of the XFL. It's in a top 18 market. They already have a stadium ready to go, the Citrus Bowl, and it's a venue that WWE has used before exclusively for multiple WrestleMania events, including last year's WrestleMania event. Uh, This was also a team that drew the third-best attendance in the XFL, gives the league a great location for a championship game. Now, if this league continues to thrive and they're looking to do kind of what the NFL wants, which is a warm, nice-weather Super Bowl Orlando is very attractive, easy access, big international airport, lots of hotels in the region. Now this is also another big football market because you have all the Florida schools, Florida State, the University of Miami, Florida Gators, UCF, all these schools and ta- another talented pipeline state for college recruiting. So this could be another hotbed for the XFL to get those players that weren't good enough to make the NFL but want to continue playing. So it makes a great location. And with the fifth pick, I have the Bay Area, San Francisco and Oakland. Now, this might seem like a little bit of a cop-out, but it makes a lot of sense in this area. The Oakland Raiders are leaving for Las Vegas around 2020, so you'll have an opening. You could play at the Oakland Coliseum, or you could look in San Francisco. They also have the Avaya Stadium in San Jose, which is an 18,000-seat stadium. This is a big region, 16th largest market in the U.S., this just seems like a perfect fit. Also, San Francisco was the most successful franchise the first time around the XFL with the largest home attendance in the XFL's first run. So this is an area where you could take advantage, get you your first franchise in California. And speaking of California, the 6th pick will go to San Diego. Once again, I think you're seeing a comment there. This is the third city on this list where an NFL team has left or is leaving in the coming years. No NFL team currently. Only one major league team to compete with, the San Diego Padres. They do have a stadium, Qualcomm Stadium, once again a little bit large for their taste. However, they could maybe move to Petco Park, but at least they do have a stadium. It's a great destination like Orlando. This could possibly be a rotating site for a championship. Get you that California market once again. Not as big as the Bay Area, but it's a nice size market. It's a market that feels scorned by the NFL, and I think they would really embrace an XFL team. So now you've hit two key cities in California, which in the last decade has been a state of flux with the Rams moving in not being super successful in Los Angeles in terms of attendance, the Chargers moving, the debacle that has been scoring San Diego and has not taken off in the Los Angeles area, Oakland moving to Las Vegas, and San Francisco, who has been a dumpster fire, and even though they are playing better with Jimmy Garoppolo, moved out of San Francisco and is in Santa Clara So I think some stability. It's a market that's had a lot of fluidity over the past decade with the NFL. And the XFL could go in and get two good cities and two prime locations right under the NFL's nose. Now this is getting a little bit difficult with the seventh pick. There's a couple cities I think you could slide in between uh, for seven, eight. Uh, and I'll go into the my other options afterward in cities I believe they should avoid. So I, if you don't agree with these 7-8 picks, I completely understand. But if you have a city, I believe I have it coming up. So let's start with seven. So let's try to balance out these divisions. You're going to need another team out in the east. So we're going to go to Birmingham, Alabama. Now, Birmingham was very interesting because... It was very successful with the Birmingham Stallions and the USFL, one of the most successful franchises in that league back in the 1980s. No pro team in Alabama. There is a 70,000-seat stadium that they used the last time with the Birmingham Bolts. Uh, the only con to this was when they were there, it was the lowest attendance in the XFL in their initial run. So the question would be could it be successful the second time around, I believe the first time it was more about the product that was on the field. I think it was the franchise that was focused on the least in the XFL that first time going through. And this was a team that went through three quarterbacks. The product on the field, especially for this team, was the worst in the XFL. They had the worst record. So I think that really had an impact. If you can get a competent team, this could be a nice city and a nice niche that the XFL could carve out. And with the final initial pick, I, I went out on a limb here and I really thought about this. But to me, this makes so much sense because it checks off every box on the XFL list. And that is Hartford, Connecticut. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute. There's already a team in New York and New Jersey. One interesting fact about this league is that Vince McMahon says he's going to be responsible for all eight teams. He's going to be the owner for eight teams now. That's going to be very difficult, especially if he has to deal with all the rosters and turnover, and he still has to run WWE. So to me, it makes sense to have two of your franchises in the local area for him to make it easier to keep track of, and also... He said that this will be a league that will be testing a lot of interesting factors. So if they can get those two local teams scheduled heavy early in the season, for those of you who think that the market wouldn't support it, there's no professional team. The closest is the New England Patriots. It's a top-30 TV market in the Hartford-New Haven area. And the biggest reason I believe it would be successful is they have a premium stadium at the University of Connecticut. The Huskies have a 40,000-seat stadium right outside of Hartford in East Hartford, the perfect size stadium, a football-specific stadium, too, that the league could be looking for. The city opened up a new minor league ball club and a new minor league stadium, and they set attendance records, drawing almost 400,000 fans for A baseball. This is a market that hasn't had a professional franchise since the Hartford Whalers left in 1997. This just seems... Like a perfect spot, especially given the proximity to WWE and the XFL headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. Now, before you start emailing me, I have made a list of potential future sites for the XFL that I think they could explore. But more importantly, I think you could swap out these sites with seven and eight, and I could clearly see a franchise in either of these cities. So here we go. Uh, the first city that didn't make the cut was London. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, well, it's not in the United States. And I I think for initially, that's why it won't be considered. But if the NFL is not in this market by 2020, London becomes more intriguing. NFL has dipped their toes in the waters with the international games, but haven't put a franchise over there. Now, the XFL could try to take advantage of that. There's multiple stadiums over there where you could put a franchise. I think the interest in just having a football franchise over there would be big enough. And the NFL might almost pushed the XFL to go there just to test the waters to see could a franchise be viable there. I do think it makes a lot of sense. The problems are the same with the NFL, the distance, how would you embrace the travel, uh, what conferences you would schedule in there. Uh, it, it, It makes a lot of sense. It's one of the biggest markets in the world, especially if the NFL hasn't capitalized on it yet. It could be an intriguing possibility. However, Given that they're just trying to get the league off the ground and they've only invested $100 million for 2020, I don't think they're going to take that big of a risk in London. I think they're going to try grow locally. And if the league is successful, this might be the first place they try to put a franchise, especially if the NFL hasn't been there. Another city I have on the list would be uh, Oklahoma City. Now, this is in the heart of football country, Oklahoma Sooner country. There's no professional football team in this market. Uh, they do very well with the Oklahoma City Thunder, decent-sized market, not a huge market, but it would be a bigger market than some of the original franchises they had in the XFL. The biggest problem with Oklahoma City that I think will prevent them from having a team is the lack of a stadium. There's no great stadium plan. There is an 18,000-seat United Soccer League stadium. It's also a high school field it would probably be too small for what they're looking for. They have a minor league baseball field that has 13,000. There's no great stadium situation there. Now, if the city was to get an MLS team or look to draw an MLS team and maybe worked with the XFL to jointly make a stadium, that could work. But the big problem is there's no viable stadium site, and I don't think a city is going to build a brand-new stadium for a league that people aren't 100% sure is going to work. So I think that is why Oklahoma City just misses the cut. If If they had a stadium, I think they would be one of the initial eight teams. However, with no great stadium plan, I don't think they make the cut. Another city on the list of possible sites could be Portland, Oregon. No professional team. They do have a 22,000-seat soccer stadium right for using. It's a decent-sized market, but the con to going there is could they possibly break into a market that is predominantly Seattle Seahawks heavy. Now, Seattle is Washington's team. It would give Oregon their own professional franchise, but could they get through in that diehard fan base area? It would be very difficult. That region is very Seahawks uh, heavy. So that might be a very hard market to break into. And finally, New Orleans. a It's a great fit, I think. Uh, brand new stadium at the University of Tulane, built in 2013. Beautiful 40,000 seats, perfect for what they want. The big problem is, once again, directly competing with an NFL franchise, the Saints. Although I think it is a big enough market to get a second franchise in it. And it would also put another franchise, not only in a region where uh, college football and football is is the number one pastime but more importantly it puts them in a state with LSU and in the heart of a great recruiting pipeline to get players because I think that's going to be the hardest thing for this league is to get players there were cities I said that they should avoid and here is the list I think the XFL will be wise to avoid first is Los Angeles and uh, when they went there the first time one of the lowest attendances in the league two NFL teams already in this market. The Chargers are, we've all highlighted the Chargers' attendance struggles to just fill the StubHub Center, and this is a professional NFL team that has some history, though brief, in Los Angeles. Uh, the Rams are struggling to fill uh, the Sam, even though they were a playoff team this year and had one of the best offenses in the game of football. There's just so many distractions in Los Angeles, and I know it's enticing because you want to get in that second largest media market. But this is a media market that went without the NFL for 20 years. The XFL tried to take advantage of that in 2001. It didn't make a big dent. I don't think putting this league is going to really do anything. In some of these communities, the XFL would be the biggest blip on that radar. In this league, it's just going to be a minor blip, and I think it's going to be maybe a two-second news story, and then they move on to the next one in that community. Just does not make sense. Uh, Next on my list is both Pennsylvania cities of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. This was fairly easy for me. Those two regions love their NFL franchises. I think it would be very hard for the XFL to break into there. Same thing with Boston. Also, no great facility for an XFL franchise, and it's a fan base that is loyal to their teams. Uh, Chicago NFL team, the Bears are loved there. Did not go well the first time there with the Chicago franchise. and I know it's enticing to get in another big market. However, I don't think you'll be able to get enough attention to get into that market. No great stadium facility. I don't think NFL stadiums or NFL owners now are going to be lining up to put a competing league in their stadium. So I don't see that. Las Vegas, uh, the league tried it there. Looked like it might work with the Las Vegas Outlaws. Struggled with attendance. Uh, the big problem that they're going to have in Las Vegas is the Raiders are moving in, so they'll be the second team in that city, uh, and the other thing will be a facility. Could they play at UNLV Stadium again? That's a possibility, but they're going to be competing with the NFL, and the NFL coming to Las Vegas. They also now have a NHL team in Las Vegas, it struggled to gain traction when it was the only technical professional team in that market. Now there's two legitimate ones, including the NFL. Just does not make sense to put them in that market. And finally, Nashville and Memphis, uh, bad attendance for the XFL and the Oilers. If you have any questions, if you have any XFL cities you believe should be on this list, I would love to hear from you. You can email us, send it to our Gmail, Rich Sports Talk. At gmail.com that's rich sports talk at gmail.com or you can reach us on twitter rich sports talk or me directly on twitter at nolan rich sports coming up next tom brady firing back at boston media what did they do that offended tom brady and really made him upset and i completely bagged tom brady 100 percent. that's all next rich sports talk Being a member of the media, there's certain things you should and shouldn't do, and there's certain lines you shouldn't cross. Now, in recent years, it seems the lines for journalism have been awfully blurred. There, It isn't as black and white anymore of what is off limits. We've seen that with TMZ. We've seen it with trying to find secrets and you know trying to find the big story or the breaking story. And... You know, trying to get those uh, hot takes on the air that gets a lot of viewership. There are certain lines in journalism that you should never cross. And for me, and I think for every journalist out there, one of those lines without question has to be family. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, Tom Brady has released a new uh, online series called Tom vs. Time. Now, this is a series basically on how Tom Brady is living uh, and playing at a high level despite being 41 years old. It basically highlights his diet, his nutrition, and his workout plan on how he's able to stay this healthy. And I mean, to be honest, you look at pictures of him in his rookie year and to him now, better now than they did in his rookie year. To me, he's almost Tom Benjamin Button because he's aging backwards. It's incredible. This is uh, this was a story that came out after the first episode, and this was a this was a private episode. It went to his house. It showed you his family. It showed what life in the Brady households like. WEEI of Boston, uh, Kirk and Callahan Radio Show. Tom Brady has done a morning interview session with this radio program for several years now. What happened earlier in the week on the same radio station? Now. The show aired last week, and we're going to play the audio for you right here. This is Alex Ramirez of WEI uh, and his reaction to watching Tom vs. Time.
1: All right, I thought the first scene was so staged where Brady's like in the kitchen, his kids being an annoying little pissant.
0: And that is one thing you never do. You never go after someone's family and more specifically their kids uh this is brady's five-year-old daughter called her an annoying little pissin you that's the focus you got out of this is you, you thought the kid was a little bit annoying she's five years old into his house and when you see a kid acting like a kid oh yeah i gotta i gotta call her out on it you know she should know better she's five years Old, it isn't a Philadelphia station, it isn't a rival station. This is a station where Tom Brady does an interview with you every week. Tom Brady, the greatest sports figure in your town's history, and you make a comment like that about his daughter. Now, Tom Brady, it got back to him. You know,
1: I don't, um, I, yeah, I do want to say something. I mean, I don't want to get into the documentary much, but I did, you know, I. Stacey had told me that someone had made a comment about my daughter or something like that. Yes, yeah, Tom, we were were just talking about it. It was Alex Reamer and you are, you can, we, Jerry and I talked about it Friday. It was a thing to say. We destroyed him for saying it. You you can say whatever you'd like. Go ahead. I've tried to come on this show for many years with, you know, it's very disappointing when you hear that, certainly with my daughter or any child, um, you know, they certainly don't deserve that, so. Oh, no, no, Tom, uh, no, no, no question. As I said, Jerry Jerry and I talked about it on Friday stupid thing to say he was suspended for it he should
0: be there are certain things i think you understand as a professional athlete you're going to be criticized for what you do or on or off the field as an individual but for a kid to be criticized is is unbelievably
1: stupid there's there's no defense for it yeah so um i'll obviously evaluate whether i want to come on this show again so i i really don't have much to say this morning that's fine Um, i understand that's totally fine i will uh Maybe I'll speak with you guys uh, some other time. Absolutely fine. We understand. All right, Tom. You too.
0: And the best part about this interview was Brady decided, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm not doing this anymore. And basically told them, you know, I might not come back on this show. So this radio station is going to possibly lose their biggest draw, their biggest sports client, because one of their anchors decided to attack that family member and basically call her out for being a five-year-old kid. We've all been like that when we were five years old. We've all been a bit whiny. We've all complained. We all felt the world was against us. We all made excuses. We all told fibs. To me, it's just growing up and it's just being a kid and To me, this was very interesting because Brady has lived a very sheltered life in the sense that we don't know much about him. It's like the Patriot organization, uh, very CIA-like. Nothing gets out of that organization. And for the first time, Brady was really putting himself on a limb and showing This is what my life is like. This is what my family's like. You get some bits and snippets of it on his Instagram and Twitter, but this was really, I think, the first time you've really gone to go into the Brady home and see what life is like in the Brady household. Or you could criticize Tom Brady or even Giselle if you really want to in their performances. I, I get that. You have a right to do that, but I mean, it wasn't even a subtle jab at like the Brady family where you had to read between the lines it was a direct it was a direct attack and on a 5 year old kid and if we know anything about Tom Brady he is one person you do not want to tick off especially we've seen it on the football field how many times is it? Have we seen Tom Brady get mad and just drive a team down the field in 80 yards in a minute for a touchdown? I give Tom credit because he is going out of his way. I understand a lot of people don't really like that. They want him to be relatable, and Tom Brady, to be honest, isn't relatable. I mean, you look at marketing. Why is Brett Favre and Peyton Manning love so much? It's because their marketing made them. It made them like us. You know, you saw Peyton driving a mid sized sedan, eating pizza and Oreos, talking about insurance, and of course, enjoying a chicken parm sandwich. What about Brett Favre? He was just playing with the good old boys, playing in the field with his Wranglers on, driving his Jeep and working on his tractor in his free time. Tom Brady is not relatable, not because he's successful, but it's because he holds himself to a standard that we don't want to. He has basically given up a lot of his life, and he has done this in a way that makes people uncomfortable because people don't want to give up drinking. They don't want to give up pizza. They don't want to eat kale every other meal. They don't want to sleep for nine to 10 hours. They don't want to only drink water. They don't want to live like that, and it's not relatable. And I can see why Brady in the public eye is different because he just seems to be perfect, and, but he works at it. He Everything about his life is not normal. The, his work ethic is not normal. But you also have to understand what areas you can criticize on. And criticizing someone's kid, in the rare chance you might be right, it's going to come off as an attack and they are going to shut you out. I mean, I find it fascinating. You look at this story and, you know, Tom Brady, instead of talking about the Super Bowl on this radio station, he has to defend his kid, which is never, never bring a kid into it. Never discuss a kid or criticize someone's kid because it is never going to end well. And Brady has every right to shout the station, and I'm interested to see if he ever gives this show and this station a shot again, but... My guess is Tom Brady is one of those people that if you're not there to help him, get out of his way because he will run you over. That's going to do it for this episode of Rich Sports Talk. We really loved having you on. We're going to talk Super Bowl later this week. As always, you can find us on SoundCloud under Rich Sports Talk and email the show, richsportstalk at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you guys. And until next time, I'm Nolan Rich. Have a great day.